Well, not long ago, we finished a, a series in the book of Mark, and then in a few weeks, we'll be starting a new series in the book of Ephesians, another consecutive expository consideration uh, of, so that we can understand the Word of God and know it better. But from time to time, in these transitions between the two, I do something more topical in nature, and I began last week with this series that I'm calling Gospel-Driven Worship. It's really a, a lot about the mechanics of worship. It's about the priorities of worship. It's about the elements. It's about a lot of things. Uh, but ultimately, that we might be driven in our worship by the gospel and worship God in ways that are pleasing and acceptable to him. And last week, we began with the question of whom do we worship? Today, we're going to be looking at the more practical question, uh, how do we worship? How do we worship? And uh, again, the scripture that I'm going to read is not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to exegete that, um, expound it, but rather it sets the stage for looking at the various elements of worship that we're going to be doing primarily today. And we're going to be very practical, very down to earth in trying to see and, and see how worship uh, fits together in the in the mold that God creates for it um, in his word. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 2 verses 41 through 42 and also from the book of Colossians uh, chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. Look for various elements of worship in just the reading of these passages as I read. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to breaking of bread and the prayers. And then from Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Have you ever noticed that there's a if you go if you've been to a lot of churches over your lifetime or however many years you've been on this earth you've probably been to more than one church on various circumstances and yet if you notice whether it's looking at from the street or whether it's especially if you go inside and look at the worship area or the sanctuary or whatever you want to call it the auditorium where worship takes place you notice sometimes a lot of very diverse things, not all the same. Not every church is going to have the same architecture for its place of worship, and not every church is going to have the same aspects or elements uh, the, in the way it's done. And particularly architecturally, have you ever wondered why they're so different? For instance, 
taking the difference between what is called or could be referred to as cruciform architecture and reformed architecture. We are, as a Presbyterian church, are in that stream of reformed architecture. And there are things in the way this very assembly that we're in, in what we call sometimes the sanctuary, but it's really just an auditorium. The sanctuary is us. We're the people. We are the sanctuary of God. But this is the place we meet to worship, the meeting house, the meeting place. Uh, And so that in Reformed world looks very different than it does in, say, for instance, Roman Catholic uh, architecture. And part of that The cruciform, matter of fact, I do believe I have a slide. I'll give you an example of what I mean by by cruciform. Um, This is, you notice, from here and across there, what is that? It's a cross, thus cruciform, a cross. And the auditorium, the people here, but there's usually some kind of elevation and even maybe a bit farther, and this is where the Eucharist or the table for the Mass in Catholic churches is usually set. Notice it's at the center and it's elevated. Now, if you look at Reformed, thank you, if you look at Reformed churches, the structure is different. It usually has a pulpit at the center. And even if there's elevation Again, it pulls more upon what we would call the idea of participation of more of the people of God very actively. Both, both do, but more so in Reformed. And the Word of God is central. It is at the center of things and elevated. It is not the sacrament that is central and primary. It's the Word of God, and the sacrament supports that. But usually in our case, it's down on the, on the floor level. And so even architecture shows sometimes what we think about worship. Um, architecture and the placement of objects in the house of worship are not the only things, though, that we have reason, that have reason behind them. In other words, I'm trying to say there is reason behind the way buildings are structured. A lot of times people don't know that. They may worship in a place that doesn't even really match their theology, but they nonetheless are not aware of that. But there is always a reason. There's a purpose behind it. There isn't something that is important to know about it. And the same thing is true of the various elements that sometimes you see in a worship service. Prayers and songs and sacrifices and giving and singing and those things. Those are elements. Those are things that are part of a worship service. But many people sometimes assume that those things can just be interplaced and put in and you know, pick one you want, whichever, as if it's somehow they just all... Uh, can be put in any order or with any, without any consideration. Just kind of, hey, pick this and pick that. I like this one. Let's do that today. Our worship should be much more carefully considered than that. It should not be haphazard. It should be intentional. 
And that's what I want to try to show you, that the worship that we carry out here at FPC week by week, there is a very strong intentionality and a very strong purpose behind the things that we do or don't do and when we do them, in what order, and how they play out in worship. Today I want to look at, like I said, the elements of worship. In order to do that, we're going to define them, we're going to distinguish them, and we're going to dissect them a little bit, kind of like uh, dissecting a frog. We're going to break it down, particularly that last one, and show you the elements. And as, as you do, you can kind of look occasionally at your bulletin, and you'll realize, okay, that's, yeah, that's what they're talking about there. That's why they do that here in, the, in this order. So this is trying to be very practical, but important up front. Here's the first point in the outline. The outline is an important definition, a critical distinction, and a practical dissection. Okay? Now, what's the important, important definition as we think about worship and the elements of worship and what it means to worship God in a way that's pleasing to him? There are many potential, potential aspects that can be found in a service. I already mentioned a bunch of them. Singing, praying, uh, listen, hearing the word of God proclaimed, preached, giving of tithes and offerings, etc. There are many aspects that can be found in a service. But how do we know which ones that could be put in the service really belong? How do we know which elements we should have in a worship service? That's a very, very fundamental and important question. Some people think it doesn't matter. Some people think, hey, anything you want to do that goes, if it just feels right, go, go for it. Some churches in the, that have a more loosely structured, if you think back to the time of the Reformation, even in the Reformation, Luther's understanding of what could go, take place in worship was a little less strict, perhaps, than the Reformed uh, worship services were. There, and there was a reason for that. And this is where this concept, I think, helps us. There is a place to get some help on that question. And it, the Reformed world has often used what they call the regulative principle of worship to help guide them in what they do in worship and when. Now, what do I mean by that, the regulative principle? Well, regulative is, means to regulate to basically order something and make sure that it's in the right place. It's not out of place. So what is included in worship in the reform understanding, churches like ours, we have a history. What we're looking for are what are the elements that God is pleased with in worship. Now, how do we know that? Well, do we just intuit it? Do we just uh, uh, put ourselves into a trance and hope that it comes through? No. God's word gives us that information. We go to the Bible itself to tell us how to worship. The Westminster Confession warns us about will worship. That means basically anybody does it willy-nilly any way they want to. They can do it just based on their own preferences and their own desires. But we believe that in order to worship God acceptably, we need to worship him in accordance with his word and the direction that it gives us. Now, 
the word of God does not tell us everything that can take place in worship, but it does tell us those essential elements. So what is included in worship when you think about the regulative principle, what you're really saying is what has God authorized in his word that he wants us to do in worship? In other words, does God say that he wants his word preached? Yes. Does God say his people should sing songs? Yes. So God is the one telling us that's the kind of worship I want, not just anything you come up with on your own, or get together collectively, these are the things that honor me, and I want you to include them in your worship. Now, that doesn't mean every single element has to be included in every service, but these are the things that take up and make the worship of God acceptable and pleasing to him. These are what we would call normative elements of worship. They are the standard bearers. They are the normal things, the bread and butter of the elements of worship. Or another way to say it, we could say these are the approved parts or aspects of worship and the service of worship. And it, that really gets to a lot to how. I said this is a very practical question. How do we worship? What things do we use in our worship? What things do we not use in our worship? And when? That kind of thing. Now, that's the first point, the important definition. Now, let me make a very critical, critical distinction, because this is important. A lot of times people get hung up on this one, and a lot of uh, uh, drama ends up in the church that shouldn't be there, because people don't rightly discern and distinguish this point, a critical distinction. It's highly important that we make this one. There is a big difference between the elements of worship and the forms of worship. Think about this hand is elements of worship. This hand is talking about the forms of worship. Are they identical? Are they the same? No. Now, they're complementary. The, there can be good forms tacked on to elements, but they're not the same. Elements are the God-authorized parts of the service. We've already said, like preaching and like singing, and like prayer. Those are the elements of worship. Elements are God-authorized. Forms are culturally influenced expressions of worship. In other words, let me give you a form. An element is to worship God, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, I mean, that is, that is obviously, but a form would be, okay, when do you worship? What time? Or how often? That's a form. That's, and that may be culturally different in some places than others, and yet in both cases, as long as God is being worshiped, that's a good thing. It's God honoring. God says to sing. His praises. But which praises? As we're going to see, there's a lot, there's a lot of options there. But the, a lot of those options are more in the area of form. Which instruments do we use? Those are questions of form, not of elements. Singing praise to God is the element. 
how we do it and in what particular way and what instruments and when we use it, what styles, all of that is form. Many, many years ago, I, I've told some of you this before and I've shared this with the elders. Um, we, had a, we had over, when I was at Wayne, we had a um, uh, retreat and we brought uh, down kind of a, a worship uh, expert uh, for this uh, retreat, and we were doing some thinking through some things in worship. And, uh, and one of the things that this guy did, he put up on a whiteboard, and he put up a bunch of things, just like, uh, okay, um, the, you know, the time of worship. Uh, and then he would put up there um, giving of tithes and offerings. And he just put up all kinds of stuff on the back blackboard. And he says, all right, now, you officers, you elders, and you get, Tell me, as we're going to go through them one by one, is that a form or is that an, an element? And what do you think happened? All over the place. There were people saying, calling forms elements and elements forms. It just showed they, they didn't understand that important principle. And it was very, very edifying and very, a very good uh, learning object. Many times... My brothers and sisters, worship conflict is the result of confusing forms and elements. You start, you get to the point where you're ready to die on this hill, and that hill is not an element that God has authorized and said, I want in my worship. It's a particular stylistic thing, and yet they're willing to leave the church if they don't get the, the form the way they want it. Unnecessary trauma and drama in the church of God, all because not understanding when it, what is fundamental here and what is just a circumstance, a, a something that's culturally determined and influenced. Doesn't make it bad, but it also doesn't give it the authority of an element. So this is very, very important that we understand this. Now, let's spend the rest of our time here just being very practical and looking at what and how worship in a dialogical form appears. A practical dissection, that's what I told you. We're going to dissect the frog now. A practical dissection. Uh, from a simple reading of today's passage, the one that was on the screen that we read, we can see there are five common elements. Let me see if I can use our uh, screen again. All right. Five common of New Testament worship. The reading and preaching of the word of God, now from the complete canon of the word of God. Fellowship and mutual gathering for corporate worship. The breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, Prayers, praise, and thanksgiving. You can open your Bible in the New Testament and you can find all of those in more than one place. You will find that. Those are elements. They are God-given, God-ordained elements, authorized things that he wants in his worship. Now, as I said, it doesn't mean we have to do them in a certain order or that we don't have to... There's various ways that we can shade and color that. That's form. But these are the elements that are essential in the worship of God. So, as we see in our typical worship order, 
we're going to kind of go through a typical worship order. Now, this is, again, not the only way or the only order that can be done in, but we'll see the different aspects or elements. Calls to worship. Thanks, you can bring the slide back. Uh, calls to worship. What are they? Historically, the call to worship comes from who? God. <laughs> it's not from us. It's the first word is from God himself, not from us. Not from our response, but from God who initiates. He's the one that calls us to worship. Now, how, what form can that take? That element, what forms can it take? Well, it can be, um, it, can, it can come from the reading of Scripture. It can come from the singing of Scripture. It can come solo or it can come responsive, back and forth, antiphonal. Um, it, can, it can also, uh, like I said, be spoken. If you notice sometime our call to worship is spoken, like this morning, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, it was sung by the choir. And in, in, a, in a call to worship, sometimes it is responsive back and forth of the congregation and the leader, leading of the, of the uh, uh, worship, whoever's leading the worship at that point. It can be a command. It can be an invitation. It can be a declaration. You can find all of that in Scripture. Sometimes a call to worship is, is more like a command. Sometimes it's, a, it's, a, it's an invitation. Sometimes it is a declaration. But it comes from God. Now, that's, that's coming down to us. That's coming down to us. Now, once again, there is a dialogue logic. There is a response. That's in the form of offerings of praise and adoration. Now, what form can that take? That can be, uh, that shifts the church's response. It can typically mean the singing of psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, just like we heard in the, in the text this morning. It can involve prayers of ascription, which is praise to God. It can also uh, involve adoration. Uh, and again, but the point of, of these offerings of praise and adoration, they're our response lifting up and praising God, adoring Him. They are about His worth, not our worthiness. That's critical. Too many churches, it's, it's so centered on what we want and what people want. We are here to bless and praise Him. And then another element that is often found is confession of our faith. Now we'll see in a minute, confession of our sins as well. But here I'm talking about the fact that in the New Testament church, we find various confessions of important elements of the faith. Let me give you one good example from 1 Timothy 3.16. Now this is Paul writing in the New Testament, but he apparently is pulling together some theological threads, maybe it was a, a, an early hymn, and this became a creed of sorts, a confession of their faith. Listen, 1 Timothy 3.16, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He has mani was manifested in the flesh, talking about Jesus, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, 
and believed on in the world and then taken up in glory. You see, he's, re- he's recounting the deeds and accomplishments of the Messiah. This is a creedal form. It is a confession. These things we believe. These are the permanent things that will not change. This is true about our God now and always. That's a confession of faith. Now, through the years, the church has added a lot of others, like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Some people say, why do y'all read those old dusty creeds and stuff that's all so, so far back? Because it spells and teaches great truth and reminds us and brings us together around that truth. Because these are the permanent things. This is God's word. And these things do not change. They're not going to be, go in and out of vogue. Or just because someone decides, oh, I, I think I now would like to decide whether or not. We'll, we'll, just, we'll, just, we'll stop saying that Jesus is the son of God. Well, now we'll just say he's one among many. No, these things are creedal. And they confirm and confess the faith of the faithful down through the ages. Then obviously another element is public prayers. Public prayers. These prayers can be prayers of adoration. Sometimes we have those in our service. They can be prayers of confession like this morning. You heard Rick led us in a responsive prayer. And again, they can be done responsibly. They can be done silently. They can be done uh, as a, in unison. They can be done many ways. Again, that's all of the, about the forms, the various forms that can be used. But the the element is the prayers of God's people. Remember, Jesus said that God's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. That's why we have the after uh, after service opportunity on uh, first Sundays. We try to to give an opportunity to have elders here. And of course, kind of COVID's kind of wrecked that for a while. But we're going to get back and still try to do that uh, as soon as we can, as much as we can, uh, because that allows the people of God to have one more opportunity for prayer and public prayer. And then, of course, another element. Now, once again, this is. Go- God speaking down to us. This is not our response to God. It is prayer is our reaching and crying out to God. But now in this element, assurance of pardon, what's sometimes called the assurance of pardon or the words of encouragement is what we usually refer to. It makes a little more sense. But that whole part, why do we do that? Well, that is God speaking to us about the, the truthfulness of his promises that he's made to us in Jesus. It's God telling us, because you've confessed your sins, I will forgive and bless you. It's God, and the promise of God's forgiveness and blessing are also, like I said, call the words of encouragement, but they are spoken by God to us. We're going to see a little bit later, there's another element that is God speaking to us that we often don't realize. But what we're doing is we are hearing God's word coming out to us as as sinners, but as forgiven sinners because of our trust in Jesus Christ, having confessed our sins to him. And then, of course, giving of tithes and offerings. We've already had that today, and we talk about that. That's a regular part of worship. But again, now, is that, a, is that God starting, or is that our response? It's our response. Once again, you, you see the pattern. It's back and forth, back and forth. God speaks, we respond. God acts, we respond in various ways. This is all part of the structure 
of our service and of worship. So, and then we give to God, not because he needs it, because we need it. We give to him in response to his goodness and faithfulness to us. 2 Samuel 24, 24. Uh, the tithe is the base of giving. That's just the base. We give free will offerings over and above that. But that's our response to God in gratitude for his goodness and salvation to us. And then, of course, scripture readings, various scripture readings. Michael today added a scripture reading at the beginning of his pastoral prayer. Well done, Michael, by the way. Um, but that, that was a scripture reading, getting the word of God into our bloodstream, uh, various ways that we can do that. Uh, scripture readings, scripture speaks for itself. I love this quote by J.I. Packer. He said, in God's word... He speaks, and he doesn't stutter. When God speaks, he doesn't stutter. Hebrews 4.12, listen. For the word of God is living, active, and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the very intentions of the heart. Again, how can scripture public scripture be done? How can it be done? Well, again, can be a unison uh, reading. It can be responsive reading, which we sometimes do, and other times it can even be antiphonal, where there is a reading over here and reading coming from there, and a reading coming from there, and then a reading coming from there. Three, four, five. It can all kind of creative ways that we can take in the word of God and of course through the preaching of the word is, an, is another element but as the scripture is read then what usually comes next in our services there is a prayer for illumination why because once we've read God's word we need his help his light to understand that so we once again cry out to God we look up to him and cry out to him and pray for understanding and then God speaks to us through his holy word, the Bible. Speaks to us through the scriptures, either whether they are exposited or in, and topically connected. Either way, it is God's word. And his word must not only be read and sung, it must be preached. It's not enough just to sing it. It's not enough just we need to also proclaim and preach the word the word must be proclaimed. The word must be explained. It's not just enough to read it. We need to expound it. We need to explain it. Remember in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, this in the people of God, and then also uh, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. Listen. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people. For he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense. That's expounding. That's exposition. They gave the sense so that the people understood their reading. They were hearing it, but he gave the sense. He preached. He expounded it so the people could understand what the word was saying. 
also in the Second Timothy passage, I charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by my appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word, proclaim it. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers suit for their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. How many once God-honoring churches have now become an Ichabod? No longer faithfully proclaiming the truth of God. No longer being restrained by the word of God and speak when it speaks and when it doesn't speak, shut up. Sadly, there are false prophets. There are charlatans. There are wolves in sheep's clothing that fleece the flocks of God in churches that were once places of God-honoring worship. Now they've become self-help, therapeutic, deistic nonsense in many cases. Thankfully, there's still many that are faithfully proclaiming and preaching the word. But how easy it is when we begin to get wise and think that we are smarter than the word of God. We need to have the word. We need to be taking it in. And then we need to respond to that word. Now, once again, God has spoken to us in the preaching, even through a very sinful, fallible, frail thing that we call a preacher. But now that God has spoken to us through his word, then we are to respond to that word. And how do we do that? Various ways. We can respond with prayer. We can respond with a hymn or a song of response. Or some, even sometimes an affirmation of our faith. Again, in light of what God has told us, we once again affirm his faith. We respond to God's word. And then finally, God initiates and respond, not responds to us, speaks to us one last time in the service. And that we call the what? The benediction, which literally means the good word from God. The benediction. The word benediction is good word. It is God's word of blessing to us who believe. You know often as I give a benediction, the one that's probably very commonly used, uh, used last week, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift with the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. That's the ironic benediction was given by Aaron in the time of Moses. But notice what's in, so critical here. The benediction, and I've said this before, and some of you, are, some of you get it, some of you are doing it, uh, but it's God speaking to you. Not, we're not speaking to him. It's not a prayer. We're hearing from God through his weak vessel what God is saying to you. You're mine. I will bless you. And the benediction is to be received. It's not a prayer. You don't have to. You can close your eyes. But 
You can keep your eyes open. You can look up, and that's why you will see me with my hands like this. It's as, as it were saying, this is coming from God. And the response, if you want to respond visually, would be this. Because you're receiving, or this. Your hands are open to receive God's blessing. I can't give you anything. God is the one that's made the promise to you as his people. And so it's interactive, but it comes from God. And once again, we receive God's blessing and good word by his promise. Remember in worship, it's all ultimately about him. God has the first word in worship and God has the last word. He always has the first word and last word, or he should, in a worship that honors him. And when, on occasion, we celebrate things like the sacraments or or ordinances, those ceremonies can have some of these same structures that we have in our worship. Now, again, it's not always the same, but you notice there's a basic pattern here. And this goes way back. And there are other ways that you can structure. You can put certain things in one place as opposed to another. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we smash some things together. But keeping those elements and finding creative ways through forms to make our worship pleasing and exalting to God and edifying to one another. We're going to be looking at more about that next week. But see, here's a critical point. We got our last slide, I think, up there. Um, Very important. These are elements in dialogue. In other words, this is not a one-way conversation. And we, God speaks in all of these ways: calls to worship, confession, faith, assurance of pardon, scripture readings, preaching of the word, benedictions. We respond: praise and adoration, public prayers. Tithes and offerings, prayers of illumination, responses to the word, and the amen. You see, it's a dialogue. It's a dialogue in motion. God speaks, we respond. God speaks, we respond. What a beautiful picture. Because it's relationship with our God, King of Kings. May our God enable us to glorify him and to edify each other and one another in the how we do worship. Amen. Let's pray. Father, there are so many, so many things in this consideration. And Father, still more that we need to, to get to here in the next week or two. But Father, I pray that that we will be careful to make sure that we are are offering up not will worship, our worship that is according to our desire. But Father, that we would, we would be willing and, and desirous of seeing you glorified and magnified in our worship as we, Lord, bring into our worship those elements that you have given us in your word. And, and Lord, through, through illustration or through example or through specific command, all the ways. But Father, there, there are things that you've authorized and, you've, and therefore we can rightly include in our worship in a creative way even. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the freedom that's there that we, that we don't have to stick to one thing always in terms of, of the way it unfolds. 
But thank you, Father, that you are the one that speaks first and you speak last. Thank you that you are the one that don't, you didn't leave us to ourselves to just flounder around. You gave us direction. But Father, help us also have, have hearts that are passionate and creative and finding ways to do that. We thank you for the, for the many ways that you've blessed us with, with the, the, the willing hearts and servants, Lord, that are willing to, to help and, and bring uh, and lead in various aspects of worship. We thank you, Father. We pray you'll help us find creativity and yet stay within the bounds of what you have given us and so that you may be honored and so that your people may be edified. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.